from John chapter 20, as we draw near to the end of the gospel of John and our study through it, please stand for the reading of scripture, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May God... As is Richard's blessing the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we're thankful that you raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. And we pray that the same power of his resurrection would be at work through your spirit. As we look to your word, we pray that you would speak to us in the power that calls the dead to life, and that you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher, in Jesus' name, and for his glory, amen. Be seated, please. And the darkness has not overcome it. Before we... Uh, get into the message, I want to draw attention to one particular thing uh, in the text, and it is this. John is telling us that uh, 
as we would say, you cannot make this up. Uh, and if you look in verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the other disciple, that's John himself, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise uh, from the dead. Uh, This is John. He was there. He describes what they found in detail uh, on that Sunday morning when they arrived at the tomb. And he says they found things they were not expecting to find. The stone is removed so they can look in. Jesus is gone. The burial cloths where in which he had... Uh, been bound or neatly folded, and the face cloth is in a separate place. We'll uh, come back to that. But, but you see, John is saying in verses 8 and 9 that up until the moment we saw it, we did not understand that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, was supposed to rise from the dead. Now he also tells us in verse 9 that the scripture, that is the Old Testament scripture, had always said that he would from the very beginning. But they did not understand what was already in the scripture properly prior to that moment. John is telling us, as we would say in the language of 2018, you can't make this up. That's one of the many things that the alternative explanations of the resurrection of Jesus fail adequately to reckon with. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to rise again. That's what John is uh, telling us here. They went from having no concept of the resurrection to belief in the resurrection in a moment. Now, with that uh, aside, let's uh, turn uh, to our text. Our message today is the darkness has not overcome it. John has a way of holding his line of thought from beginning to end. As we've worked our way through uh, his gospel, we've seen a consistency in his themes. And one of the themes that John laid out at the very beginning is that of darkness and light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8 and 9. And you remember even before that in the opening verses that John said that the true light was coming into the world. And the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Or the darkness has not overcome the light. And John was hinting perhaps more than hinting at the fact that the darkness would attempt to snuff out the light of the world. And you remember that as the theme developed in chapter 3, John said, this is a condemnation that light has come into the world. But men prefer darkness rather than light because... Their deeds were evil. And in the struggle, the darkness reached its high watermark at the cross. 
And John sets up his account of the resurrection in order to show us that even in the death of the Son of God, the light of the world himself, the darkness has not overcome the light. Now let's look at it. First in this passage, you see leaving the darkness, leaving the darkness. Look at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now it's interesting. There's four accounts of the resurrection of of Jesus Christ and it's interesting how the various gospel writers describe the time of day on the morning Jesus rose. Luke says that they went to the tomb early at dawn. Mark says they went to the tomb very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. But here, John says that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb while it was still dark. Is there a contradiction there? Of course not. This happened at daybreak. And it goes from darkness to light instantaneously. It was dark when Mary set out for the tomb, and as she arrived, the first light of day was breaking. Matthew, by the way, he smooths it out. He says that it was toward the dawn of the first day of the week. But John is using the natural world to paint a spiritual picture. The darkness is doomed. Every morning, no matter how dark the night has been, the darkness is eradicated by the first ray of the rising sun. And John is showing us here that the darkness is doomed. It had been a dark night. The lifeless body of the Son of God had been laid in the tomb, but the darkness cannot overcome the light of the world. Now John tells us that it's Mary Magdalene who comes to the tomb, and most of what we know about her does not come from John but Luke. And I don't want to read things into John that aren't there. But we know from Luke that Mary Magdalene was wealthy. She was uh, from the upper crust. And she and some other upper class women were big time financial supporters of Jesus and the disciples. And we also know that Jesus had cast seven devils out of her. Again, I hope I'm not reading things into John that are not there. But think about what John has said about Judas. It's scary. Judas was helping himself to the funds that were meant to go to Jesus and the other disciples. Mary Magdalene is giving to Jesus. Judas is taking from Jesus. He's taking money she gave. John tells us, that the devil put it into Judas' heart to betray Jesus. So the devil is coming into Judas' heart. Jesus has cast seven devils 
out of Mary. And John tells us that at the Last Supper, when Judas left Jesus and went out to betray him, that it was night. He left Jesus, the light of the world, and went out into the darkness of night. And here on Easter morning, John chapter 20 and verse 1, Mary Magdalene leaves the darkness and comes to Jesus. And in that fact, that historical fact, there is a command. Or as theologians like Jonathan Williams would say, in that indicative, there is an imperative. Don't miss it. John is telling us, leave the darkness. Men love darkness rather than light, but the darkness has not overcome it. Leave and come to the light of the world. Leaving the darkness. Secondly, in this passage, you see a new creation. A new creation. Go back to chapter 19 and look at verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now look at chapter 20 and verse 1. Now on the first day of the week. Now look down at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Now again, Jesus, or John, gives us these details for a reason. And he tells us that Jesus was buried in a tomb that was in a garden and he re-emphasizes that by telling us that Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Here she's looking for Jesus and the body is gone. She's weeping. And Jesus himself starts talking to her. And well, it can't be Jesus, he's dead. So who would be at the cemetery at that hour talking to you? The gardener, the caretaker. Now again, let's go back to the very beginning. What are the first words of the Gospel of John? In the 
beginning. Or as theologians like Jonathan Williams would say, in R.K. Why did John open with those words? Well, you know why? Because the first book of the Bible, Genesis, opens with those same words in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And John says, in the beginning was the Word. And we know the Word is Jesus who was with God and was God. And then what does John tell us? All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word and all things were made by him. And perhaps as we go through John one passage at a time, we lose sight of that. That John has set this up as a parallel to the book of Genesis. But when did creation begin? On the day it could have begun. First day. I know. Creation did not begin in the garden and God formed man from the dust, breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life and then placed him in the garden. I understand that, but where does the history of the human race originate? In fellowship and communion with God in a garden. Now, It's the first day of the week. And Jesus is in a garden. And John is using these details to show us that a new creation is beginning in the garden. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, most of you know it well, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He has become the first fruits of a new creation. This same John will later have a vision where he sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. John sees a new heavens and a new earth. And this is where it all began in a garden tomb on the first day of the week. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus bring, I don't say brings, or it brings about a new creation. All who love Jesus will be raised and inhabit a new heaven and a new earth because and only because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. He 
takes up the old fallen, cursed creation and by his perfect obedience and perfect sacrifice, he advances it to the supreme glory. This is why John goes into the details about the grave clothes. He's contrasting Jesus' resurrection to Lazarus. You remember when Jesus raised Lazarus in chapter 11, they had to unbind him and let him go. But in Jesus' resurrection, he was not merely brought back to life. He was transformed into a spiritual body that came out of the grave clothes. John is saying, Do not miss this. John is saying that Jesus did not just come to restore us. He came to advance us to something far better. Even than the very state in which God originally made the heavens and the earth. You see a new creation. You see leaving the darkness, you see a new creation. Thirdly, in this passage, you see communion with Jesus. Communion with Jesus. Now, I don't mean the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I mean communion in the sense of sharing fellowship with Jesus. Communion with Jesus. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Yeah, you see, Jesus calls Mary by name. She recognizes his voice. And perhaps as we might instinctively do. She throws out her arms to embrace him, but Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. And if you were here last week, you're thinking, well, I thought we were supposed to embrace Jesus like Nicodemus did to take him down uh, off the cross. And now he says, don't cling to me. Because he has to ascend. You remember, he had told the disciples that it was to their and consequently to our advantage that he ascend. Because when he ascends, he will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will seal a far greater bond to Jesus than a physical touch or embrace. He will seal our spiritual and mystical union with Jesus Christ like branches graft into a vine. And look at at what this union with Jesus Christ entails when he ascends and sends down the Holy Spirit to bind us to him. Look at the end of verse 17. I have not yet ascended 
uh, to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. This is communion with Jesus. Do you see it? He is sharing with Mary and us what he has accomplished for us. Everything we have in our salvation, it comes from Jesus. And we have it in Jesus. We have it because he earned it. And he accomplished it for us. And here, Jesus is talking about being a child of God. My Father and your Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, because of what I have done for you, what's mine is yours. That's what it means to be bound in union with Jesus Christ. What is becomes ours. His Father is our Father in Christ. Now let me show you one thing here. At the very beginning, you remember John said in chapter 1 that to as many as received him, as many as received the word... Christ, to them gave he power. He gave the right to become the children of God. How does Jesus give us the right to become children of God? Now, hold your place and turn ahead a few pages to the first chapter of Romans. Romans 1, I want you to see one thing about the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 1, he's talking about what the gospel is. In verse 3, he, he, he defined, Paul defines the gospel message in Romans 1 3. says, The gospel is concerning his, that's God's son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, in his resurrection, was declared the Son of God in power. This is not talking about his divine nature, the, the eternal Son of God. It has always been the second person of the Trinity. It's talking about according to the flesh, as a man, he was declared the perfect obedient, worthy Son of God. Now, He is always the Son of God. In His human nature, He was declared the perfect Son of God in His resurrection. And what comes out of it? Back in John 20, in verse 17, Jesus says, I'm ascending to 
my father and your father. This very day, he was declared the son of God in power. And he shares his sonship with us in communion with him. His father is our father. You know, this is the language Ruth used when she bound herself by oath to Naomi. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Jesus binds himself by an oath and says, my father will be your father because I am the perfect, obedient son. What's mine is yours. And ultimately, my resurrection will be your resurrection. He's become the first fruits of a full harvest. communion with Jesus. You see, leaving the darkness, you see a new creation, you see communion with Jesus, and fourthly and finally, you see the call. Now look at verse 8 again. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw the facts and believed. Now look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. John saw the empty cloths folded up. At this point, he doesn't understand much, but he sees the facts and believes Jesus was raised from the dead. Romans 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And on this morning, John believes in his heart God raised him from the dead. And then in verse 16, Mary hears Jesus call her name. What did Jesus say? My sheep. They hear my voice, and they know me, and follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and none is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father, one Mary, has heard the voice of the Good Shepherd, and she knows that voice. She follows has eternal life. Think about this. John sees the facts. Mary hears the call. That's still what it takes to this day to know the facts and hear the call. Our catechism teaches us that Jesus accomplished our salvation in his obedient life, his death, and his resurrection, and that we come to experience and share in what he has done for us when God 
calls us into fellowship with him. It's the call that brings us to Jesus, that binds us to Jesus, that unites us to Jesus such that his Father is our Father, his God is our God, his resurrection will at the last day be our resurrection. And John is asking us, has he called you? Has he called you out of the darkness? Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.